As we begin our reading in James chapter 4, we want to begin in verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I remember when I was a kid thinking about like the idea of the movie Aladdin, like a genie that you'd have in a bottle. And I remember thinking, wow, three wishes. What would I do with three wishes? Of course, my mind went right to the thing which I understand from the Disney movie Aladdin is not allowable. Your third wish, you're not actually allowed to ask for more wishes. The reason I bring that up is because I think that that kind of concept can sometimes be used or thought of in what our religion is. God ends up being something that kind of gets attached to your life, but it's really kind of kept separate. We kind of tend to compartmentalize and put God in a box and say, this is my part of my life where I let God out of the box. And so when I go through life and it's kind of business as usual, but then I hit something where I'm having a struggle or something like that, well, then it's time to get God out of the box and have Him go to work for me on this particular issue. But a lot of times we can tend to kind of do that and compartmentalize things in our life. So we have like our work life and our social life and these different aspects of our life, and then we have our God life. On Sunday mornings, we let Him out of the box and we go and celebrate Him for a little bit and then put Him back in and go about life as usual. That appears to be what James had a fear that some of the people that he was writing to were doing. Because he starts to focus now on a practical aspect of their life, uh, how they would raise their livelihood. As we go on further from this, he's going to deal with how they look at money and wealth and possessions. But for right now, he's just going to look at their kind of their business prospects. And you look at their plans, their plans in and of themselves are not evil. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them traveling for work. In fact, uh, back during those days, you did find in, from the Jewish community, a lot of Jewish peddlers and stuff would travel out of Israel and out into the surrounding countries to go make a living. They would take lengthy trips out selling their goods and come back, and that's, that's how they'd provide for themselves, and they did well. Yeah, nothing wrong with being involved in sales or, or going and making a profit. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's God that gives us the abilities to get gain and to move ahead financially. And so those things are not in and of themselves wrong, but yet at the same time he does point out that they're doing something wrong. And what it looks like is, uh, he doesn't use this terminology, but the way uh, I have labeled it, actually Lisa and I came to it in a discussion, is this idea that they kind of have God in a box. They obviously have him to some extent because otherwise he wouldn't be writing to them as, as brothers in Christ as he keeps referring to them. But in this instance, there's at least one very big part of your life that you're leaving him out of that you've kind of stuck him back in that box and you're not consulting him you're making no connection between God and this one part of your life and so they've they've put him in a box now notice what it says there's two sayings that he puts against one another and he says this is what you are saying but this instead is what you should be saying and he says this, come now, and the word come now is only used here and in chapter 5, verse 1. It's kind of abrupt, and it's meant to get their attention. In other words, he's kind of saying, hey, now listen up. Kind of like Isaiah did back in chapter 1 of Isaiah. Come now, God calls him, let us reason together. He says, I, want, I really want your attention here. And he says, you who say. And then look farther down the passage. He says, instead, you ought to say. 
Now, it's way bigger than just our speech. But our speech often convicts us, right? Our speech often reveals what is at a deeper level within us. Just like Jesus said, out of your heart, your mouth speaks. You who say, you could easily say, you who think, you who, you who feel this way. And then how is it that they feel? He says, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So that's what they're saying now. But then he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And he's not, he's not just making a formula. You know, a lot of times we tend to t- kind of reduce very important principles to formulas. We were just talking about it this morning in adult Sunday school, dealing with prayer. It kind of highlighted the fact a little bit that when we pray in Jesus' name, what all does that entail? Because I kind of use it like a formula. I end just about every prayer in Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen. Well, actually, in my heart, I do not intend or want it to be just a, a formula of this is how we end a prayer. But actually, he's praying in Jesus' name is much deeper than that. You're recognizing that it's only through Jesus that I have access to God because He's the one that died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And He's the one that is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for me right now. And so, it's much more than a formula. It's much deeper than a formula. Well, if we're not careful, we can end up attaching this to our sayings. Well, Lord willing, I'm going to do this. Or Lord willing, I'm going to do that. Or Lord willing, we're going to take a vacation. Or Lord willing, I'll go to work in the morning. Those are all good things to say, and we should be talking that way because it's a constant reminder. But if it stays at just that, then we've missed the whole point entirely. What is the problem with the first saying and the things that they should be saying instead? The first saying has left God out. It's left Him out. And that's not how we're intended to live. They might be all fine plans. They might even be successful. They might go and be gone a year like they said and everything might go smooth and they might earn a decent amount of money to provide for their family and they might come back at the end of that year. It might even all be successful. But if it's done within the context of an absence of God, then it is futile. It's no different than any pagan going and earning a living for their family. And our life is supposed to be much different. You know, the Apostle Paul would tell us that even the things that we eat and we drink should bring honor and glory to God. Our whole purpose in life is to bring glory to Him. So how can we leave Him out of the major decisions in our life? But with the major decisions in our life, where we're going to work, how we're going to live, where we're going to live, who we're going to marry, whether or not we're going to have kids, what we're going to do with our finances, major purchases, all those things need to be bathed in prayer. But you know what? Not only that, even the little things. In fact, what levels does he deal with? What levels do we not know? He says, you don't even know tomorrow. So in other words, we need this on a daily basis. We need to be involved in this. Bringing God in. Letting God into our decisions. You know what our relationship with God is supposed to be like? It spells it out pretty clearly in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Do not lean on your own understanding. If you read the statement made in James chapter 4, all that they're going on is their own understanding. They didn't mention God in any of it. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to go there, and we're going to make this. And We're not supposed to live leaning on our own understanding. We're supposed to be learning the Word of God and leaning on God's understanding and His teaching of His Word. In the book of Psalms, chapter 37, verses 4-8, through 8, it says, "...delight yourself in the Lord." And He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Not leaning on your own understanding, but banking on God, trusting in Him. Delight in God. Just wait on the Lord. Just trust in Him. That's supposed to be our experience. What is it if we don't? What's so wrong with these people just making plans and conducting business and taking care of their family? What's so wrong is that they've left God out. And that's why he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That needs to be our focus. What is God's will? Maybe in the Lord's will that I don't even live a whole year. Maybe in the Lord's will that we don't make this journey, but something do something closer to home. We need to be banking on God's will. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. That's really what it comes down to. If we got things that we're not praying about, it means we got things that we just think we can handle it on our own. And you know, we can kind of get caught in that pattern. We can get kind of caught in that habit of just, just kind of taking care of business today, just like I took care of it yesterday, and not really consulting God in His will, not really asking Him to be involved in these different things. Just, just kind of living your day-to-day life outside of the presence of God. And he says, as it is, if, if we keep going that direction, you boast in your arrogance. You're just fleshing out your pride before God in this very godless way. You're saying, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can accomplish this. I can do this on my own. God, I don't need your help, and I don't need your direction. And that really is the crux of living a life without God. You know, sometimes you can look at the people that are around you and say, boy, there's a guy that, you know, looks like family man, honest person, conducting his business, taking care of his family, raising kids and grandkids, but has no part for God in their life. God says that is the height of arrogance. Well, as we consider it here this morning, we're going to get some helps in this. Three reasons for humility before the will of God. The whole context of this is surrounded by pride. We looked all the way back into chapter 3 and it talked about a heavenly wisdom and an earthly wisdom. The earthly wisdom, which is even demonic, says is self-centered, self-focused, raising self up. When he got into chapter 4, he continued to tell us not to go there, but to humble ourselves before God. He said, because God opposes the proud, but He blesses the humble. Then a little bit later in the passage, he talks about uh, slandering, and we looked at last week, and how we're not supposed to slander other people. Why? Because who do you think you are to slander anybody? We need to humble ourselves. He's going to go on from here in chapter 5 and talk about people that think that they're all that because of wealth. And he's going to say, nope, that isn't how we measure people either. And so all through this, it's all about humility and avoiding that pride and humbling ourselves before God and letting God out of the box and letting Him penetrate every part of our life. And as we do that, we recognize a need for God in His direction and His provision in every area of our life. You see, this isn't just about doing a few good things, about success and prosperity in a financial realm or, or even just doing well at your job or in school. This is about living out your faith with God as you walk through this world. Well, as we look at this, three reasons. The first reason that we need humility before the will of God is ignorance. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, here you are, you're making plans for an entire year and you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're ignorant. You don't know. It's amazing what we don't know. I mean, we live in, a, in an age where knowledge is increasing at a, a tremendous rate for all the things that we have available to know that is out there for us to latch on to. We know so very little. 
I'll tell you, if you start to deal with medical issues, you're going to find that out. We do tremendous things with medicine. I mean, heart implants and I mean, tremendous things. And compared to where we were a generation or two generations ago, we're miles ahead. And I hope we get a lot farther. I hope we just continue to progress and progress and progress. But you know what? When you get into dealing with something serious, you find that it's amazing how much of it is just trial and error and how much of it is practice. Well, does this chemo work for you or is this chemo going to work better for you? Thank God we have chemo. But we've, we've gone through and praying with people and working through these things. We've gone with people that have gone through a number of different chemos before they find, they find one here or there that works for a little while. I went to the doctor for something as simple as a rash, as I've told you a few times before, not too long ago, and they send me back with this big, long word. tells me what I have. I think, all right, we're making some progress. And Lisa tells me when I get home, she says, yeah, that just means your skin's bothering you. I said, well, I told him that. It wasn't as big of a word that I used, but I told him that. Something as simple as a skin irritation is not really so simple. I still have it. You know what? It's that way with everything. I remember my sister-in-law, Carrie, one time saying, you've got to be kidding me. We can send somebody to the moon, but we can't put a fork in the microwave. That's what God is doing with these people. He's saying, look, you are making these big plans for a whole year. You think it, you, you just got this. You don't even have to mention me in this. You're not concerned with my will, what I think you should do. And he says, you know what? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we've got an illustration of that right before us that we use all the time. I think of the weather. I check the weather every day. A lot of my work that's done is done outside and it's impacted by weather. I check the weather. I check it for what is it later today? What is it tomorrow? I'll flip on the radar so I can see what it looks like is coming and try to, try to figure out what we're going to do with the day. I'll look and see what it is it later on in the week when we're supposed to be tearing off a roof or doing whatever we're doing. All these things. And you know what I find? When we're trying to know the weather for a week, we're not very good at it. We are not really all that good at knowing things. And that's what God is telling him here. He says, look, you don't know enough to not consult me with your plans. You don't know enough to plan out your life and leave me out of it. One of the first verses I memorized was, was Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And I found that tremendously encouraging. It pointed out to me what I don't know. It pointed out to me what I may not be able to handle. And in doing that, it pointed me toward the one who is the creator of time itself. Because that's the whole point. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. I don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. I need to know the one who has tomorrow in his hand. You know, I remember when I was, when I was a teenager looking towards graduating from high school and trying to decide what I was going to do afterwards. I didn't know what I was going to do took one of those surveys that they give you at class through the counselor's office, that kind of thing, and I think I was could either be like a Russian interpreter or underwater basket weaving or something like that. <laughs> he gave you three things, and I don't even remember what they were, but I was like, where did they come up with this? But at any rate, I didn't know what to do. And I did a little math yesterday, thinking through my history again. And the time that I married Lisa, from the time that I married her to the time that I went off to Bible college, I had a dozen jobs. But I didn't know what to do. So I just started trying things. I finally got into uh, building houses and I loved it. And I, and I succeeded. I did very well in it. was moved right, moving right up the ladder to become a crew leader. And I thought, finally, I found it. All the time that I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and how I was going to make a living and what I was going to do for a career, never once did Preacher pop into my head. Not one time. When somebody introduced it to me one time, I went into a, a pastor. And by this time, I thought, I thought maybe I was going to be a mechanic. I thought, well, can't go to school all day because I've got to take care of a family. Maybe I'll go to school at night. 
one of the nights would come out to be Wednesday night. And so I thought, well, that would get in the way of church. We've got Bible study on Wednesday night. So I don't know if I should do that. So I went and talked to the pastor. I'd become a Christian by this time. I said, uh, this is, I want to do this. I want to take these classes. But this class is on Wednesday night. What do you think? Can, can I miss church for a while or should I not do that? I wasn't all that excited about the idea of missing church. I like church. He said, uh, before I can answer that question, he says, you've got to tell me that you know with, beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is no way that God is calling you into the ministry. That was the first time it had ever even crossed my mind. And I was like, what? And about that time, somebody came to get him because the copier machine was having trouble and they needed to make copies. And so they interrupted our meeting and got him out of the office. And you know what? When he wasn't looking, I left. I scooted out of there. It scared me to death. I thought, there's no way. I just won't take the class. Keep coming to Bible study Wednesday night. Everything's good. My only try at public speaking, which you had to do in high school, I was, a, I was a failure at. It was miserable. I thought, there is no way. And so I just ignored it and left. And you know what? I, I was, got focused. I, shortly after that, I got into building houses and progressing that way. And I was doing what I thought I'd be doing the rest of my life. Well, I kind of have done that too, I guess. But when God started to lay that burden of ministry on me, I thought, no way. And it scared me to death. And then finally, we ended up giving into it. it my, my point is this. When I was... 18, 19, 20, 22, if you would have said, you know what, you're going to be a preacher in a church in northern Minnesota, I would have laughed hysterically at you. I'd never been to Minnesota. I had no intention of ever going there. Never really thought anything about Minnesota. I had a friend that moved from North Dakota to, to where I lived, and he, this is as close as I've ever been to Minnesota, he rooted for the Vikings. And I was like, why in the world would you root for the Vikings? They've been to the Super Bowl four times and lost it every time. Now, who do I root for? Vikings. <laughs> but, you know, at any rate, the point is, he's saying, look, you don't know what tomorrow brings. Well, who are you to make plans for a year? You know what you really need? You really need the one who has every day. And so we need to humble ourselves before the will of God. And we need to take God out of that box and let Him in every part of our life. Well, not only is ignorance a reason, but also frailty. But he says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our time is short. I tell you, that's one thing I know. When I was younger, I felt like life was so long. It's not. It's short. The farther you get in it, the faster it feels like it's going. And the quicker you're getting toward the end. And these kind of statements begin to ring true. And there's many of them throughout Scripture. In James chapter 1, he's already highlighted this for us. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The Bible talks about our life being short. It's brief. It's frail. Well, it's like here on a fall morning when you step outside and, and you breathe out and, it, and you see it. And it's that little mist that appears just a little bit and then it's gone. It's like the other day when we had a kind of some clouds sitting a little low on the roads and you're driving through them and you can hardly see them. But as the sun's coming up, it burns those off and they're gone. That's what you're like. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would say, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Our life is frail. It's fragile. We're not that we're not in control of it, and things can happen quickly in a in a moment. Or your life can change forever. We need to walk in the will of God. We need God involved in every part 
of our life. Luke chapter 12 gives an example of somebody that did just the opposite. In this parable, he says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You notice all through the passage, what is the focus? I, I have this. These are my things. I will do this. I will do this. And then, who are the conversations with? He thinks within himself. Not, he's not talking to God. He's not praying. He thinks within himself. And then I will say to my soul, Soul? All of his conversations are even just with himself. That God is nowhere to be seen in this, in this guy's whole life. And that's where God says, You fool. Why? Because now your life is over and those things are going to go to somebody else. And now where are you in all of your plans and your possessions and your, 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 instead of God's will? And that's where he says you're rich toward yourself and you're poor toward God. Well, in Psalm, Psalm 103, verses 15 through 19, it says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Boy, the first part of that just makes you almost feel deflated, doesn't it? Because it's, it's like you're like this plant that's, that grows right there in the grass and then the sun comes up and scorches it and it's gone and then in a day or two nobody even knows it was there. That's what your life is like. And I thought, man, how true. If you think of just the United States alone, what are we, 430 million people? I think it is. Somewhere around there. In, in 430 million, how many people are actually even be known by very many people? <laughs> that, that they're going to know your name all across the whole country. Not very many people get that kind of recognition. Most of us, if I die today, I'm going to leave a very small wake. Right? Most of the 430 million people in our country are not even going to have known my name. Even within our tighter circles. I will hope, as we talked about last week with my 25 years of ministry here, I hope that I've made a, a bit of a dent here. But I recognize that even in our, our community, my dent's going to go away faster. My wakes are going to fade out quicker. Within our church, I hope that wake lasts a little bit longer. Within my family, I hope that will last longer too. But I recognize that probably my great-great-grandchildren will not know my name. That's, what he, that's the frailty of life. But Psalm doesn't leave us in that deflated position. He says, but with God, but with God, it's eternal. So the answer is easy. What should we do? Let's focus on the will of God. With God, we have eternal relationships, eternal impact. But inside just my own will and to my own self, trying to accumulate what I can and get what I want out of this world, um, my impact is very low indeed. It's transitory. Isaiah chapter 40, the voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. 
when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. If life is frail like that, then how much more do we need God involved in every part of it? How much more do we need to be humble before the will of God and be saying, God, I, don't, I only have so many days. What, what can I do with this one? What should I do with this one? God, I only have so many years. Which, and I don't even know how many they are. This is David was, would ask God to teach us to number our days so we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Well, the last reason that he lists for us to exercise humility before the will of God is because of evil. Sin is not just the things that you should not do that you do. Sin is also the things that you should do that you don't do. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. When you leave God out of your plans and go on about life like He doesn't even exist, you are practically living the life of an atheist. And he says that is arrogance before God. But then he goes on to say, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. We know that we're supposed to be consulting God's plan. We know that we need to be living out the will of God and choosing the things that God wants in our life to participate in those things and leaving the others undone. And he says it is evil to avoid the will of God. And so I would go back to our guy that we brought up earlier. What about that guy that's just living a responsible life, committed to his job, committed to his family, raising kids and grandkids and and living a decent life morally as as we would label it? What about that guy? But he has no place for God in his life. That is evil. You know, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered a question. The scribes asked him a question, which commandment's the greatest commandment? And this is his answer. He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, and he's quoting back from Deuteronomy where Moses is giving it to the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's a positive action, right? The greatest commandment of all is not don't do something. The greatest commandment of all is do something. The greatest commandment, the thing that is top of the list for you to do, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all of your strength. Now, if I do everything else well but I do not love God with everything I am, I have broken the greatest commandment. You see, now all of a sudden it makes sense. The height of evil is to leave God out. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the very first of the commandments, only God, no images, no idols, no other gods. The height of sin, the height of evil, is to leave God out of your life. The height of evil is to put God in a box and say, I'm going to pull you out for Sunday morning, but the rest of my life is my life, and I'm going to do with it as I choose. There's a poem that expresses this very clearly, and the evil is seen very well. It is the poem Invictus, and it's by William Ernest Henley. And he says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. He's acknowledging that he's walking in darkness. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried out. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. He says, I recognize that I'm walking in darkness. And when I get to the end of this life that contains tears and some suffering, I'm going to find myself in darkness still. And I might get beat around, 
by the circumstances of life, but I will be unconquered and unafraid. I will, as he said, I will not bow. And he says, no matter what the scroll, this is the scroll he's talking about, the Word of God, no matter what punishments are commanded for me within that, I don't care. I won't bow before God. I am the master of my own destiny. I am the captain of my own soul. When we leave God out, this is what we're drifting toward. When we think I can handle this life on my own, I'll have my little part of my life where I do the religious thing because that gives me some kind of clout or whatever it does. I'm going to be the captain of my own soul. This is my life and I'm going to live it and I'm not going to let God in on these decisions and I'm not going to consult Him in the direction. I'm going to make my own, call my own shots, be my own man. That is the evil that we're practicing. And that's why James calls him to something so much better. You know, because of the corruptness that is in our own soul, the own lack of goodness that can exist within us, we can tend to drift toward just handling everything on our own and not involving God in it at all. But that is absolutely not what God's will is for our lives. God's will for our life is that we don't lean on our own understanding. We trust in Him. We walk with Him and we let Him out of the box as if we could put Him in one. We let Him have access to every part of our life and we lean upon His understanding, His direction, and His future for our lives.